They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run Cause I cook competitors until they look well done Don't act like you don't know where I held from I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play Me falling off, huh, that'll be the day I'm like Bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run Talk is cheap, but it can often cost you more than what you bargained. Welcome to The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are Press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG, and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. Speaking about podcasts, did I ever tell you the one about Big Daddy Kane? It's a new podcast series from the Timeless Podcast Company about the life and career of Big Daddy Kane, hosted by a friend of the program, MC Search. Big Daddy Kane is the original Brooklyn MC that influenced a host of others, from Jay-Z to Biggie, Most Def, Talib Kweli, and even Joey Badass. This series will take a deep look at Kane's career from his humble beginnings in BK to his life as a stick-up kid, and those key decisions that changed his direction to become a legend and rap music and hip-hop culture. Make sure to check out Did I Ever Tell You The One About, the new podcast series from the Timeless Podcast Company, hosted by MC Search, and also available across all streaming platforms. Sadly, another rap legend has taken his leave from this planet. Gregory Jacobs, better known as Shock G, the lead man of the Bay Area group Digital Underground, passed away at 57 this past weekend. This man had such an influence over the sound of the Bay Area. P-Funk was a thing. Bootsy Collins eulogized him a bit online. People would call Shock G, aka Humpty Hump, the Humpty Dance, would call him George Clinton Jr. because of the Parliament Funkadelic relationship and the basis for the, a lot of their sound. Shock G was a person who gave Tupac life. Produced a lot of Tupac's early stuff from Apocalypse Now to his first big single, I Get Around. He was involved in all of that. He's a part of Shock G's label longer than he was a part of Death Row Records, just as a, as a note of reference. Tupac started off as, and I don't want to make this totally about Tupac, but just the influence of this man. When you think about other Bay Area legends and giants like Todd Shaw, Too Short, or Earl Stevens, a.k.a. E-40 Fonzarelli, you must... You absolutely must think of Gregory Jacobs. Rest in peace, my man. And though it seems each week, as well as rap legends passing on, the Black Trauma Porn Tour continues as police continue to shoot blacks and browns in the street indiscriminately, or so it seems. And I shouldn't even say that. The murderer Derek Chauvin is now in prison, convicted of his crimes in Minnesota. We don't know what's going to happen with the killer of... Andrew Brown Jr. in North Carolina, or the person who shot an unarmed man who he gave a ride to just an hour before, but somehow was the first person to show up on the scene in Virginia, a man by the name of Isaiah Brown. And when you look up that story, it may or may not be easy to connect dots or why that happened. 
The fact that the state of North Carolina and the Andrew Brown Jr. case cannot release the body cam footage unless they have a court order is striking. We don't know what they're doing to that footage right now. And everything in black life, no matter what it is, is over-policed. Not just policed, but over-policed. Or you're walking, you're suspicious. Got some candy and an iced tea in your hand? Oh, you're suspicious. A sandwich wrapped up. Oh, a cell phone. Oh, you're breathing. Over-policed. Friend of mine who called to check in on me after the Chauvin decision said something that was so striking to me and it made me feel good. And I had a lot of people who reached out to me, which is, is great. Allies, brothers, people, sisters, people I consider friends who understand how deeply engaged I get in these kinds of matters. Just want to find out if I was okay, how I was doing mentally and emotionally. And it's tough. When this is your daily operation, that every day you're looking around the seat, like it's almost... It's very traumatic. Forget almost. It is traumatic. And my friend said, sometimes it's hard not to feel hopeless. And he's not incorrect. Case in point, the amount of faux outrage generated by hashtag he who shan't be named and a tweet he made about the shooting of Micaiah Bryant in Ohio, where the officer was identified. There's a picture of him in the tweet. And the caption read, you're next. Hashtag accountability came down to politics for some people. Oh, well, he's inciting violence. Just like you accused our president, full fifth of what he did on one six. Right. False equivalencies always work. Now you can choose to read into it what you want, as these folks clearly did. You're next. Hashtag accountability. And people want to charge him with having all the details. But none of us did. It was an emotional outburst on the heels of the Derek Chauvin murder case and the outcome that maybe, just maybe, some justice will come for these guys who indiscriminately come out and shoot first and ask questions later. Now, in this particular situation, there is and it will be a decision made upon the difference between excessive force and necessary force. I understand that because a young lady had a knife and she's wielding that knife. I get it. Kid comes to another state, AR-15 on his hip, shoots a couple of people, even talks to the cops with it on his body. No questions asked. Nobody's trying to subdue him. Nobody's trying to shoot him. He doesn't look like a cop. And it's messed up when you feel like, because I'm doing this right now. He's making comparisons to trauma, to murder. Now, is he doing his job? Absolutely. He is a police officer. He has a tough, tough job. But your training is to defuse the situation, not to create one. Could he have used his taser? Maybe he mistook his taser for his gun. You know, because they both weigh the same, right? Whatever the case is, Micaiah Bryant is dead. People are wondering, asking questions. And he who shan't be named has been castigated. Oh, you should be expelled from the league, says this Ohio bar owner, who I don't want to give him his 15 minutes because he's already gotten that. How this made a national story, I don't know. But somehow some bar owner in Ohio said that he who shan't be named should be expelled from the NBA. And if he's not, he's never going to play any NBA games in his bar. So what? The idea that you feel like you're so important, that this man should shut up and dribble, that he doesn't have any opinion. Do you realize the hypocrisy in what you're saying? So should bar owners just shut up and pour drinks? Because, you know, black basketball players are defined by their occupation, not 
the fact that they're human. But we have to remember that at one time in America, black people weren't seen as human beings. They were seen as property, counted as three fifths of a person on the census property. Maybe that's where it stems. Who knows? If I were he who shan't be named, I wouldn't have deleted the tweet. I would not. That's just me. People want to parse this thing and, and, and have a bunch of intentional goalposts moving to create a separate agenda that has nothing to do with the fact that on the rare occasion, a police officer is found guilty of murdering a person without cause, a black person, a person of color, that somehow that's crossed off the bucket list. Okay, you guys got one. Stop asking for more. What? We all know that he who shan't be named has contributed in multiple ways. To his community, his society has always stood up for what he thought was right. He comes from nothing. He could have been one of those people. And when you come from a place where your life expectancy doesn't even reach 20 in America, with all this modern medicine, opportunity, and everything else, this man has exceeded the odds. And that is somehow offensive to many people. Hmm. Yeah, I might be on one right now. His contributions are well noted. He took down the tweet because he said it was inspiring more hate. But listen, people are going to hate you no matter what you do, black man. LeBron James, he who shan't be named. It doesn't matter. Even other black pundits, Marcellus Wiley, Jason Whitlock, Candace Owens in particular, came out and started citing all this other stuff. Well, he's the black billionaire. He made it. What does he have to say about it has nothing to do with his money. It has to do with being black, because when he's out there in the street, they're not going to go, oh, it's LeBron James. Let's give him a pass. It's his son. Let's give his son a pass. Because, you know, in some places they shoot first and ask questions later. In all fairness, due to his elevated status on the planet, he who shan't be named does have a degree of responsibility above myself or you or anyone else out there listening. Because there's the level of influence that he has understood. But when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you say some things. Is he ultimately responsible for everything he says? Yep, just like I am when I say something. I'll continue to say more on topics like this and other things, including what we're going to talk about with my special guest on the other side. Come back for more of The Open Run with Will Strickland right after this. Now back listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with my very special guest, my former high school teammate and current men's head basketball coach at Sam Houston State University, the Bearcats, my man, Jason Hooten. Jay Hoot, what's up, baby? What's going on, Will Strick? Trying to maintain, man, daily operation. I appreciate you coming on and being a part of the experience. So what I normally do with my guests is have you run the resume. I want to know what you've been up to. It's been like 30 plus it's been a long time since we last spoke, yeah, which is that crazy. Makes, that makes me feel really, really old. Really I mean, old. Let's let's be honest. We are. We're not. We're only as We're, old as we feel. Oh, I, I, I hear you, I, Coach. Not, and I feel Ooh. good. I, I love that, Coach. We're going to get into that, too, about coaching cliches. 
because we're gonna I'm gonna ask you some of yours in a minute. But run your resume. Let us know where you're from and what you've done with your career in your life. Well, you and I uh, obviously we uh, our cross path our paths crossed in Clean, Texas. Uh, your father was stationed at Fort Hood, and uh, which a lot of a lot of guys come and go uh, in that in that town with the military. Mm -hmm. Uh, but obviously a special place uh, for me personally being born and raised there and obviously our military and what what it what it does for our country. And and um, so it was just a neat experience to grow up in a place like that because, you know, guys would come in there and you'd really get to meet people like yourself. And, uh, you know, the great thing was when you moved in, I'll never forget. But, uh, you know, you, you brought us a really good basketball player in yourself. And, you know, and, and sometimes. You know, you get move-ins, and those move-ins sometimes aren't aren't real good players. And uh, you know, the way we had at the time was two schools. We had Clean High and Ellison, and it always just seemed like Colleen got the best move-ins, mm. and uh, we just never would get the guy that was a good player when he moved in. And when you came in, it was the best move-in we ever had. And uh, we had a really special year, your junior year, my senior year, going to the playoffs for the first time and winning a playoff game and. Should have won that second game as well, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but some good times. Uh, you know, you were about a hundred and hundred and fifty pounds soaking wet, maybe, <laughs> maybe hundred and fifty pounds. I maybe, know you were, right? you were about like that. And, True enough, uh, not anymore. Yeah, but you were really good, and I knew uh, I knew that next year. You know, when I left, that that team was going to be yours, and you were going to have a great career, and obviously. You know, you go to Rice and have a great four-year career and a professional career as well. So, but uh, after I left there, I was blessed and fortunate to play junior college basketball. I know a lot of people uh, don't look at junior college like that, but it was really good for me. It helped me get a lot more physical and stronger and and also play against some great players on a daily basis and made me a better player. So I played at McLennan Community College, which was about an hour from, from Colleen up in Waco, north of mm -hmm. Colleen. I uh, played there for a year or two years, excuse me. And then from there, I went to Tarleton State. Uh, at the time was an NAIA school. Now they're division one and actually in our conference. Uh, so, mm -hmm. but played there for two years for uh, a great coach, a guy named Lon Reisman. And coach Reisman was at a small school in Oklahoma and found and coached a guy named Dennis Rodman. And uh, so he's a pretty well-known guy and he's got over 700 wins. And so I was blessed to play there for two years, uh, played on some championship teams. And then when I finished up, um, he had a job for me as an assistant coach. And that's where my career got started. Uh, I was there for 11 years as an assistant. And I left in 2004 to come to Sam Houston as a Division I assistant coach. Uh, spent six years here uh, as an assistant. In 2010, we had a really good team and went to the NCAA tournament. And my boss at the time, Bob Marlin, uh, he ended up leaving, taking the job at Louisiana Lafayette. And I got the job here in 2010. So just finished my 11th year. Uh, we've had some really good teams and we've been really blessed. Uh, we've had a lot of success. You know, we're averaging right around 20 wins a year over the last 11 years. And so. Get the big uh, gun off, coach. I'm not mad at that. Get it off. No, you, I mean, you, check the resume. It's real. No, it's real. Look, look, no matter what level, if you can coach, you can coach. If you can motivate young people to win basketball games and motivate them to be solid citizens, you're doing your job. And clearly you've done that because there's not a lot of job security in being a coach. No, and I mean, it's it's, um, you know, I, I'm I'm a weird person in the sense that I worked at the first school for 11 years and then I've been at 
you know, at this place for 17. Um, mm. So I've been at two schools for 28 years and that doesn't happen in this business. So, it does not. Um, you know, I think part of that will is just, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a loyal type person and, you know, I, I'm a family person. And I think when you build something, it's really hard to leave. Um, so, yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. And then the other part of it is my family. You know, uh, you know, my wife is a high school volleyball coach, which is a town about 20 miles north of our house. And, you know, my daughter's a freshman who plays for her. You know, my son is a is a sixth grader. And, you know, my family really likes where we're at. They like where we live. They like my wife likes her job. And, you know, she does well there. And, you know, my daughter is a pretty good little athlete. She'll have a chance to probably play college. And, you know, so I just, it's always difficult when you have family that it's not difficult. It's great. You have family that's really happy and content where you're at. And so that's kind of. Let me ask you something about that. And you you said difficult, maybe in a way, as a coach, you have to figure out how to navigate work-life balance, the relationship with your children, the relationship with your wife, the relationship with your job and the young players and administrators you have to deal with on a regular basis. Between film study and going to a volleyball game or a baseball game, softball game, whatever the case might be, how do you manage that, being a Division One head coach and dealing with a, a family that wants to stay stable? That's hard. That's the hardest thing about the job. Uh, good question. You know, I just, I just think you have to keep your balance. You know, it's always there. Uh, you know, we do what we do because we love it, right? I mean, we coach, you know, it's it, – the money's nice and, and this and that's nice, but we do it because we love it. We love what mm. we do. And so I think that, you know, you have a tendency when you love something so much sometimes to to to, to draw yourself to, to that even more. And so you have to have that balance between your family and, and your job for sure. And uh, and it's not easy. I mean, it's it's difficult, you know, especially, you know, like tonight, for example, it's a little easier because the season's over, but, you know, my daughter has a playoff softball game tonight, you know, and so I'll work till five or six and go watch her play. That That's easy. But, man, it's really difficult to when you have that volleyball game and it's the night before a conference game and we've got scouting report. And we've got a walk through. And so, you know, your family has to understand. But I think I think, Will, your family also has to love what you do, too. Mm. And, you know, and my wife understands. I mean, she's a coach. And so she's she's a great coach's wife. And my kids love what I do. They love to be around the guys. Uh, they love, you know, the guys coming over to the house and they get to go on trips. You know, last year we made a West Coast swing and played San Fran and Bakersfield and a couple people. And my son, you know, he, he was out of school that week and he went with me the whole week and, you know, had a great time and a great trip. So I think those things that your family understand because they're in it, they're with you along mm-hmm. the way. And so the whole time they understand what you're going through. Those experiences that they will never forget. And I don't think you will leave. That's part of the fabric that keeps your family together. And when you speak of family, you talk about the young guys on your team coming over to your home. What, you know, if you had to assess this past season with COVID and everything for your team, what would you say? How would you wrap that season up in a sentence? Man, in a sentence is hard, but I know this. When we met, we met on August the 16th for the first time, you know, on March the 11th was the day that Rudy Gobert tested the microphones. Yeah. Yep. 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 So that was the 11th. And I'll never forget. We were at the conference tournament, uh, had 18 wins and a good team and a chance to win the tournament, just like the other three or four teams and felt good about our chances. 
Um, and I remember going to the hotel that night and turning it on and sitting in the hotel, you know, day before the game, nervous and watching a little more film on my iPad and watching the NBA and, and then boom, that hit. And, you know, you wake up the next morning and you're like, we're probably not even going to play. Mm-hmm. Like, how are we, how are we going to play? So, you know, we come home from the tournament, you know, we let the guys go for spring break and, you know, we never come back. I mean, it, it's just a, it, it's surreal. So we didn't have summer. So our first meeting will was the 16th of August, the first day of school. And our first meeting was at the baseball stadium seats spread out all over. Right. Right. And I'm at the very bottom of it. Do you have a bullhorn or something? No, I just sat there and talked to him, you know, and right. we just like, hey, look, and this is this is if you could say it in a sentence, this is what I said. Regardless of COVID or what, you will be you will be defined as a student athlete at the end of this year with how you handle it, regardless you will be defined by how we handle it, right? Because we are who we are for how we handle adversity in life. Mm. It, it's, it is what it is. And so I, I guess what I meant by that, Will, was, all right, look, we didn't have summer school, so we've already missed two months of practice, right? Mm. And we're probably fixing to get shut down at least once, if not twice, if not three times. We're going to miss multiple games probably, all right? All that we can use as an excuse or – we can use it as a springboard in order for us to pull together, become even tighter as a group and a family and, and be good and yes, win a sir. championship. Yes, sir. And so I just said, look, how are we going to be defined? You know, how are you going to let people define you? Are we going to fight through this and we're going to figure out a way to come together? And, you know, our guys did. You got to give them credit, man. The, the credit needs to go to our kids. They they did a fabulous job of. Of, of navigating through this season and getting into a championship game. I mean, we were in the championship game. We were right there. We had it in our hands. Yeah. And, uh, well, with that said, you know, I guess the prospects for 2021-2022 season are good for you. I don't know what your recruiting is looking like right now or if you have possibly an NBA prospect on your team. It's been since 1986 since a guy from Sam Houston State has been in the NBA. So is that like an aspirational thing? It also works toward your recruiting and giving them an opportunity to play professionally, not only domestically in the NBA or in the multitude of things, whether it's the G League um, Ignite team or, you know, the big three with Ice Cube. Like a lot of guys are playing in these leagues here now and having these options. Do you think you have something like that coming up for the next season? Well, I've, I see in my 11 years, I think we've had just about 40 guys make it overseas. So we're mm-hmm. averaging about four guys three to four guys a year um, that have had an opportunity to play professional basketball. So, um, you know, as far as the NBA, you and I both know, I mean, that's a, that's a one percenter, right? Mm. Uh, I think that's like a one percenter below that even uh, of guys that make the NBA. It's really difficult and tough, but uh, we do have some guys on our team. Um, we, uh, we have a young man that's transferring here from Texas A&M, Savion Flagg. Uh, he's got one year left. He's a six, seven wing that's been on some NBA draft boards and uh, we're excited about having him in. And he's a guy that's, you know, obviously going to get some NBA looks. Um, but, you know, I just think giving guys the platform and the opportunity to, to show what they can do. Uh, you know, we have a lot of NBA scouts and coaches come through our practices. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is just being able to to give them that playing field where they can go and show what they can do. Well, when, when they realize that every moment there are eyes on them 
and that you never know who's watching, you never know who's listening, and how you carry yourself will matter in the eyes of those people who are assessing you not only as a player, but as a person. And when we do the assessments, sometimes we use a lot of coach speak. And I'm glad we haven't done too much coach speak on here because we have a personal relationship, right? No doubt. But when you think about it, what do you think some of your, like, if you could give me five of your top coaching cliches, like, we played, you know, we didn't play as hard as they did, or, you know, we didn't bring our hard hats to work today, whatever the case might be. What are you some of the ones your go tos? You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. No, you know what? Uh, Will, I, I'm laughing because I like, I don't know if I'm a cliche guy. Mm. Like, I think I just, I think I'm just real. Like, mm. I just speak from whatever I'm, I'm thinking and I'm feeling. I guess the cliche part. That might have to be like from the players, like because I'm sure I got some sayings and I know they got them things written down or when I started yelling and screaming or something, right. they probably can just cliche it to death, you know. But I do think that, um, you know, our program has just been built off of, of hard work and just trying to be tougher and play harder than our opponent every night, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's just kind of you know, that's just kind of one of those things that we've we've wanted to do, um, you know, always obviously trying to be great defensively, being the best defensive team, you know, in our league every year. Uh, you know, I think this year we finished top 50 in the country in like five defensive uh, categories. And so I think, you know, we kind of build our program off of that. So, you know, there might be a few cliches in there that we use where, you know, where it, it comes to that. But, you know, just just trying to play hard, man. That's all we try to do is just we, we try to get our guys to to play hard. And so I, I'm not a – I don't know. I don't, press yourself, a, don't, don't press yourself. I mean, if you don't have them, I'm, I'm sure – I'm not a cliche guy. I, I do think um, there's like two things I always say. Uh, it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. Right. So, so I think that's, you know, never as good as it seems, never as bad as it seems. That's one I like to use. And then uh, – and I'm trying to think of another one that I that I would consider a cliche. I, don't know. I bet you I bet your players can rattle them off in a hurry. Oh my gosh! I bet they got a <laughs> I bet a, I bet they got a list. I, I I walk in the locker room every once in a while and catch them in there. Imitating you? Know. you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. What, all right, give me an imitation. I need one of those. Oh, I, I don't know. You know uh, I might I might have to get one of your players on there. I don't know if I'm if sure. You're, I'm sure one of them probably, what are you doing? You know, I mean, there's probably something. Wait, that sounds like something I remember from high school. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, okay, you watch a lot of basketball, clearly. You're you're a film junkie. You break down the game. You're into it like that. You just said you're on the bus or you're in the room and you're watching the NBA and you're looking at your tablet, watching – you know, film from the last game, trying to figure out how you can get better the next day, not only when you win, but also when you lose. But there was a, I guess, a posting online. I don't know how deep you are on Twitter or whatever, but Jay Billis, who is big ESPN, big college basketball guy, big on the draft. He put up like, you know, the little memes that have, you have $15 to figure out your greatest college basketball team ever. And we don't need to use the numbers here. If you had to pick a starting five in college basketball history for you personally, who would that five be and why? Ah, <laughs> uh, man, I would probably go. So, all right. So now my question is this: 
do you base it off of how good they were in college or do you yes. or can, or can you college. use the information what they did when they got to the pros just in college just in college well larry bird larry bird and magic johnson are two I mean, okay mark, you can mark those two down because not only See. did did they come to be two of the best players ever play in the game but their college careers were unbelievable and the other one that i'd put on there that's an absolute no-brainer would be sam Bowie. Mm. i thought mm. he was one of the, i thought he I'd probably put Sam Bowie and Ralph Sampson on there. To me, those were two of the greatest college players of all time. This is your list. So, okay. So, which one is playing the four? It'd probably be yeah. Ralph, even though he's nah, 74. I, I'd have to pick one of those two as the five. I'd probably go with Ralph. So, I'd pick Ralph Sampson at the five. You got three of the three, Magic at the point. And I don't know. At the two, who you got? Jordan? Man, I don't know. The two and the one would be, or the two and the four. Christian Leitner? Larry Johnson. He's my four. <laughs> You're going to go with Texas all day. I'm not mad at that. He's my four. Okay. No question. He's so my four. Two, you want to go with Clyde Drexler? As my shooter? No. Jordan? God, I don't think we knew he was that, did we? Who? Jordan. His freshman year, he hit the game winner. I know he did, but like. He was Mike Jordan back then. Yeah, and I, I then, mean, I don't. No, don't get me wrong. I mean, he was good. The two years, he was the national player of the year. And he hit the shot, but I mean, did you when he left college? Were you going like, wow? Oh yeah, you kind of knew. Yeah, yeah you kind of knew. Yeah, yeah. Although my guy, um, blessed dead, and who I would have picked the three or the four maybe was Leonard Kevin Bias, Len Bias. I remember where I was when he passed. He was like LeBron without the handle and without the like court vision like that, but he could jump, he could shoot. You know the sad thing about that? I mean, obviously the whole thing was sad. But it probably would have prolonged Bird's career another three, four years. 100%. They had him in 86. They had him. And another ring. That's a whole other conversation, too. But, I, you know, Lynn Bias is in that conversation, too. Another ring. But, but who would you say would be your, your two? God, AI? Man. You already got a big guard at the one in Magic. You know who I would? I would say somebody like, uh, oh, man. Um, JJ Reddick, pretty good pick. Not I'm bad. Just throwing some names out there for you. Not bad. That guy's obviously the leading, leading three point shooter in the history of the ACC. Yes, that's pretty good. You with that? I'm not thinking right now. Good enough, but yeah, I'll go with that. Okay. Well, as long as you're gonna go with that, we're gonna go with some more of head coach of the Sam Houston Bearcats, Jason Hooten, on the other side of this on the open run with Will Strickland. Listening to the open run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic into the speaker in conversation with my very special guest, Sam Houston State University head men's basketball coach Jason Hooten. But did I ever tell you the one about Big Daddy Kane? It's a new podcast series from the Timeless Podcast Company about the life and career of Big Daddy Kane, hosted by a friend of the program, MC Search. Big Daddy Kane is the original Brooklyn MC that influenced a host of others, from Jay-Z to Biggie, most deaf to Lib Quali, 
and even Joey Badass. This series will take a deep look at Kane's career, from his humble beginnings to his life as a stick-up kid, to those key decisions that helped change his direction to become a legend in rap music and hip-hop culture. Make sure to check out Did I Ever Tell You the One About, the new podcast series from the Timeless Podcast Company, hosted by MC Search and available across all streaming platforms. Again, back in conversation with my man, Jason Hooten, head coach of the men's basketball team at Sam Houston State University. Now, Jason, you remember Big Daddy Kane, don't you? Absolutely. I just saw him a couple of years ago. Really? Performing? Yes, I did. Did you come down there or did you go somewhere to see him? No, he came down here. There's a okay. there's a place about 30 miles, uh, the Woodlands, Texas. Very, very mm-hmm. nice place, a suburb of Houston. It's about mm-hmm. 25, 30 miles from us. Mm-hmm. And they have a beautiful, beautiful outdoor place where they have concerts. And uh, my gosh, I saw uh, uh, EPMD, uh, Big Daddy Kane, right? Uh, Scarface, LL Cool J, Cali. So you were, I mean, would it be safe to say you were a big rap fan when you were in high school? Absolutely, absolutely. I still, I still am. I still listen to, I still listen to old school rap. I listen okay. to old school rap and R and B. Okay, so when you were in high school. And in Texas, when I first got down there, I didn't get everybody with the jerry curls. But that was a Texas thing. <laughs> the curls were heavy. Our team had heavy jerry curls. It wasn't my team. We had so, a heavy jerry curl team. How how would you how would you describe your haircut at that time, your senior year in high school? How would you describe it? Well, my wife, she she described it to my children in the car the other I think it was called a mullet. A mullet. But I think like I thought it was called a shag. It was it could have been called a shag. It could have been business in the front, party in the back. I, I just kind of thought it was called a shag, but from what I hear, it was called a mullet. And so it depends on who's it, telling that story, right? Right. And if I'd have known that I had a haircut that someone was calling a mullet, I would have probably changed it. <laughs> but you know what? But you know what's so funny is from '87. So '87, when I graduated, you were a junior, mm-hmm. and I went to college. When I got to college, the short haircut was there. Like it was in. And so when mm. I came home, I'll never forget when I came home the first time from college, you know, I had the, let's see what I, I, I got the little deal now, you know, the, the little part and everything, yeah. right? So I come home with that and a flat top. Right. And so I come home and my pops is like, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm walking in like, shoot. <laughs> right. You know, and the my dad's top. like, what do you, so what's the big deal? And I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, like nobody has, he, he goes to the, he goes to the back room and he comes out with his annual and he's like here's my high school picture 1950 whatever right same haircut flat top right looking exactly the same right same haircut nothing so changes like, no so i'm like man i thought like i thought this was it you thought, thought you were flat yeah i thought this was it well i you know what was fly is our our our, our high school team your senior year you talked about a little bit of the accolades and how good we were and how good we should have been, but I want to do a little name association for some of the guys that are on the team. And I want you to tell me what you thought, it, maybe in a word, or if you could wrap it up like that, to say what you want to say about your backcourt teammate, Mr. Lenroy Costley. So probably the only team in the state of Texas with a 5'11 point guard and a 5'5 two guard. <laughs> Lenroy was the truth. But, okay. but man, was he was he a good little player? Man. Yes, he was. Yes, Very good was. little player. He can make shots. Yeah. He can make shots. Oh, yeah. Okay. Otis Moore. Best friend. Yep. Ride and die forever, man. Otis had the had the Jarrah curl. Mm-hmm. Um, but nah, he he uh, you know, probably a 
difficult situation. I mean, you and I both know you were a better player than him, but he was a year older than you. And, you know, you were the guy that kind of came in behind him. Um, but, but man, he was, he was good for our team. I mean, he was a competitor. Yeah. Yes, he, he was. was junkyard dog, did all the guarded the best player on the other team. And, but yeah, no, that, that was, we still talk every other day. You know what? I need to get in touch with him. So I we're going to have a conversation when we get off. Yep. No doubt. Yep. Phileo Poyer, a.k.a. Ralph. Yeah. And, and um, you know, his son's uh, starting safety for the Buffalo Bills. How about that? No doubt. Unbelievable. Beautiful. Hey, so here's what I say about him. I'll never forget. He would, if you'll remember this, he used to shoot those elbow, maybe a little further out jump shots. Mm. And they would go straight in. But as he would get ready to shoot it, you would go, no, 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 no. Right. And then he would make it and you'd be like, good shot. No good doubt. Shot. No doubt. So, hey, man, how many was he six foot? Maybe. 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 I mean, he played football and basketball and he taught me this one hand in, in and out dribble. Like he would go to the basket with his right dribble. And, you know, he you would think he was going to dribble between his legs and take it with his left hand. Yeah. But he would drill it and bring it back to the right. Yeah. So it was an inside out dribble. And would make it. I'm like, oh, I but, put that in my game too. But I mean, how many six foot, how many six foot guys have you ever seen get like twenty something rebounds in a game against two seven footers? Hey, Flair was tough and strong. Tough, strong hey. dude, man. Tough, strong. No doubt. Dude. Mark J. Osina. Yeah, I still talk to him. Um, mm-hmm. He's doing good. You know, uh, been through a lot in his life. I don't know if you know. You know, had a daughter killed in a in a car accident at a, a young age, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, he and his wife Liz have have been through a lot. But he's doing great. You know, he's still coaching at Weatherford Junior College, and you know, I still talk to him. He's still crazy, absolutely no crazy man. He tells stories about us, and you know, he he's. I think he likes to talk because you know he. Bring back old good memories and. Oh, he, I remember he threw me out of practice one time because you know it was a. The day before, it was a bunch of college recruiters. There were a bunch. And, uh, you know, so I was showing off a little bit, you know, dunking on people, wilding out, just doing all kinds of stuff, but not saying anything. So the next day in practice, you know, I came out late. I was doing whatever I want to do. And he's like, what you doing, stud? You think you're a stud? Get out of this gym, stud. I was mad, too, because he was calling me crazy. I'm like, Why? I'm the man. You calling me out? But he uh, was right. He was right for doing it. Because I was trying to be above what we were trying to accomplish as a team. You know, the other thing about that too, Will, is, uh, and I know you're a smart guy, obviously, have done great in your life and you appreciate a lot. But, you know, he had a great, great relationship with Willis Wilson. Mm. And I'm almost sure that, you know, he had a lot to do with you getting that scholarship. Not because you're not playing, but just because he told Willis, hey, you need to take this guy. You know, this is a guy you need to take. Oh, Coach uh, Wilson. Coach Wilson would call me. We'd be on the phone. I would fall asleep on the phone and wake up, and he would still be talking. And I'd just go, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I knew they wanted me down there, you know. Yeah. And, and, and Coach Osina definitely did have a great relationship with those guys down there yeah, in Houston. Absolutely. And, uh, it just absolutely. felt like the best place for me academically and athletically, the opportunity to play and come in with, like, a top 25 recruiting class that we had at the time um, for a school that really never had one. Yeah. Um, so it was a you know a testament to Scott Thompson, who was his coach at the time, and I, I think uh, the old story. Yeah, the old story is when Scott Thompson came to Colleen to recruit you, he got stopped and got a ticket. And, Did he? Uh, yeah, he got. I always heard that story. He got stopped outside of Colleen and got a ticket for speeding when he came to recruit trying you. To, trying to get them goods. So, no question. <laughs> hey, you know, hey, before I forget this though, man, you know, I always remember. I don't know if you remember this or not. 
But uh, after practice every day, I'd give you a ride home because mm-hmm. you and I would go to Dairy Queen. And if you had a if you had a Dairy Queen uh, book cover on your books and you took it in, you got a free ice cream cone. Did them, yeah. And you and I used to go in there every day. And those people <laughs> would never mark the book cover. So we just take the same every book day. in there every day. <laughs> right. And we got an ice cream cone every day after practice. You remember that? No, 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 no doubt. Hey, do you remember Maurice Artist? Absolutely. A-Train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonder where he's at now. I have no idea. Neither. I went, to Texas, to... went to Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if he went and finished up, you know, his four years there or not. But but I remember he was a heavily recruited guy. But, you know, back then, Will, I mean, there wasn't a lot of seven-footers back then. No doubt. No now doubt. they, you know, now they grow off of, off of trees. But And everything. Yeah. But back then, man, not a lot of seven-footers. No doubt. That was a good rivalry between, you know, Ellison and Colleen, for sure. Yeah. Marcus Penny. My roommate. Yeah. My roommate, my freshman year at McLennan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, still talk to him now. He's done great, man. He's got a big time job for AT&T and lives up in the Metroplex. He has a son uh, that's a player. And uh, but I talked to Marcus quite a bit. Stay in touch with him for sure. Now, this is no no slight to any of the other players that we play with. Great guys, the whole nine. But. Uh, I'm going to break my arm and pat myself in the back and let you give the goods on Will Strickland. You know, uh, again, I I think, as I said, the beginning of the cast, you know, we always didn't, we just didn't get great players that moved in on our side. You know, it always seemed like clean would get the, the Anthony McDowell's and, you know, Mm. those guys that seemed to move in, they always lived on that side of Fort hood maybe, or, you know, or on that side of clean. But, uh, but when you moved in that year, I, I, I mean, I knew, you know, you were you were pretty thin. You were pretty skinny. Pretty. Yeah, no, you were skinny. When I post but, this picture of these knobby knees and yeah. those little shorts we had. Oh, them shorts. How about those shorts? But you know what? My guys are dying for those shorts right now. That's the crazy, crazy part. They are dying. In fact, our Under Armour uniforms this year reminded me of those shorts you and I wore. Well, it goes back to the haircut that, you, that your dad showed you. Yeah. I mean, everything comes around, right? Yeah, no, it does. But no, I... I um, you were a big integral part of that team that year. And, you know, whether you started or came off the bench, I can't even remember now, but I just six man. Yeah. You played the whole game though. And, and uh, yeah, I just remembered, you know, you were so fundamentally sound. I, I, I remember your best shot at that time. Your best shot was that little 15 foot bank shot and you used the glass every time. Um, but you were more of an inside. You were more of a. Uh, I like to post up. You were more of a Draymond type player for us then. You know, your game mm. hadn't totally evolved into a guard, which I know you were at Rice. Mm. Um, you know, in high school, you were more bet- – you were probably better around the basket at that time. You know, you could really finish with either hand. Had a really good left hand back then around the basket. And uh, But, you know, you could move out and, you know, we didn't have three-pointers. I wish we would have. No, we, we got them. That was the first year we no. got them. No, your senior year. Was your it? Sen- yeah, your I senior it was year. Six. No, 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 no. Your senior year and my freshman year in college was the first time I ever got to shoot one of them threes. We are dinosaurs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> if we would have had three pointers that year. We would have went all. It's a different way. conversation altogether, right? I'm looking back at old tape and I'm like, man, three quarters of my shots were from there. No doubt. But no, you were really good, and I and I knew, you know, I knew you had, you know, I was a guy who probably worked hard. I wasn't an overly talented player. Um, Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, you I wasn't. No, you are our lead guy. No, 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 no. Don't do not do that. Don't but, do that. But what I was going to say is, is like out of our team, our whole team that year, you know, you were the, you were probably the only guy on that team 
that was quote unquote a college talent. You had college talent more than anybody on that team. The rest of us were, you know, the rest of those guys were more, you know, just good high school players. And, and, um, but, but you had that, you had college talent to you. I knew you would be a, I knew you would be a good college player. We don't win, we don't win 70% of the games that we won without you being that guy, period. Well, that's not gas. That's I, I not gas, was, Jason. That's not gas. That's real. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, I was uh, I was blessed to uh, – we just had a – you know, my team two years ago, we won a championship two years ago, and we ended up having the player of the year. But, man, we had a really good team. It's the best team that I've ever coached. It's mm. not the most talented team I've had. It wasn't near as talented as this year's team, but it was the best team because we shared the ball so well together. And I think that reminds me of – our team in 87, we, we really played well together. Our transition, if you'll remember, yeah. we fast break that thing. We were, but who, I, I can't remember who the point guard was on that team to help us get out into the fast break. <laughs> do you, do you recall his name? I could pass. I could do pass. You recall, do you recall the point guard's name? I, I enjoyed, you know what I did? I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed passing the ball. I don't know if a lot of kids do that anymore. Mm. Really, I mean, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed making plays and passing the ball. I did. So, who is your favorite point guard of all time? All time favorite point guard. I'm prepared to answer this one. I'm gonna have to guess. I can't just say one. If I could pick two or three, <laughs> give it to me. You know, I wasn't anything like Magic, but how can you not put Magic right there? You know, mm. and then probably the next guy would be probably Stockton, mm-hmm. and then probably my third guy would probably be Jason Kidd. Okay. And the thing that – is there any one thing other than, like, being supreme passers um, that binds them all together? Oh, I mean, there, I definitely think leadership. Mm. No question. I mean, look at Magic and what he did with his career and his life now. And, you know, I think all those guys were just leaders. You know, they were leaders of people, leaders of their team. You know, they brought a uh, they brought a team together, you know. And I, and I, I think the hardest thing to do as a coach now and in the game now – is is to it's the hardest thing to do is to bring a group of guys together and to and to get them to understand that for the betterment of the team it's going to be better for them so Mm -hmm. like what i mean by that is is like i think everybody wants to be good and i think everybody wants to do good but if you average 20 a game but if you would just average 18 because it would make us win as a team Mm-hmm. That's the hard part of coaching now and these kids now. That's the tough thing is you got to get them to understand that if they'll do what you're trying to tell them, that it's going to help the betterment of the team. And in the end, all right, and I was told this probably like 11 years ago or no, about 17 years ago, a guy told me this. In the end, if we win as a team, we're all going to win individually. Well, it helped me. I mean, your leadership, my junior year, elevated the possibility for me to be seen by all these schools and whatever the case might be, and me, for me to have the opportunity to make a choice for all those teams, right? And I tried to instill that, and I I guess I wasn't that good of a leader. We had a very, very young team. The team I came to with you guys was a veteran team, older guys, smarter guys. Not say that those guys weren't smart. Let me, let me back yeah. up on that. No, I know what you're saying. Just more knowledgeable about the game at that level at that point. Experience. Right? Experience so is hard to, to try and, like, try and – create the connective tissue between what I gained the year before with the team we had. And then, you know, my ego, you know, I was a young boy. My ego might've been out of whack sometimes because I'm like, I'm the man. I should, we could have been better. I wasn't better. 
right? And I had to learn that. But I had already gotten that from when I got there. And you said, like, he's the guy that should be playing. But I was sat down and made the sixth man, whatever. And we were a better team as a result. No question. So last question, man. Of any person or any player in the history of the game that you can go one-on-one against, who would it be and why? Larry Bird. I'm why? a Larry Bird fan. Forever? I just, just always have been forever. I was always a Larry Bird fan. I I don't know why. I mean, it's just some something about him. Oh, he could play basketball. Yeah, but I just think the thing I really always loved about him was his confidence. Mm. You know, he just, you know, he was slow and he didn't jump and, you know, all the things that you had he had going against him. Not that he didn't have great things going for him, but I just think his ability and his confidence and how he always made guys better around him, you know. I mean, mm. those teams in Boston, they, they weren't always the most talented teams, but they just always got the most out of each other. And to me, that was why I always liked him. And, you know, I don't know. He just and he and he just he can make a shot when you needed to, man. He was no the doubt. big, big shot maker, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, obviously we could get on that LeBron and Michael Jordan deal, which I know you probably deal with all the time. All but, day. Yeah. But, you know, to me, that was my guy. That was my goat or whatever when it came to basketball, you know, not, and it wasn't nothing to do with the position. You know, I think when I was playing, I was always wanting to be Jason Kidd, you know, that mm. was always my, or John Stockton, you know, that that was kind of my thing was, you know, being able to make those passes and be a point guard or whatever. You know, I liked uh, Kenny Anderson and, right. you know, I liked all those kind of guys. That was my, I wanted to be type players, you know, Steve Nash and all those guys. So, well, our GOAT, our MVP today, yeah. my man. Sam Houston State University's head men's basketball coach, Jason Hooten. What the hell is a Bearcat, man? Have you ever seen one? I have. There's one right out. There's one right out in front of our gym on a on a porcelain deal. Are you serious? Like a stuffed one or something? Uh, it's actually uh, there's a booster or an alumni that bought it, and it's from uh, gosh, I should know this. Like it was made in like India or somewhere. I, I don't know somewhere, and it's probably no telling how much it cost. But it's made out of like I'm not even sure. It's it's amazing. Right. So it's a, it is a mythical it is a mythical character. You know, it's part part cat, part bear. <laughs> so there's no myth to the legend, the man, Jason Hooten. My man, I appreciate you coming on. I guess if people want to find out where they can catch you, they can see the scroll here. But it is at Bearcats with a K, MBB for Sam Houston State University. So appreciate you coming on, man, and uh, we'll be back for more of The Open Run with Bill Strickland right after this. Winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. I want to thank my special guest, Sam Houston State University men's head basketball coach Jason Hooten, my friend, my former high school teammate, for coming on and sharing the love, spreading the love. You know, it's Strickland way here on the podcast. But I like to give some shouts out to my old teammates from Rice University as well. When I think about Gregory Jacobs, who I talked about in the first lock of the show, Shock G from Digital Underground. I remember going to Brazil and. Uh, 
we played against a bunch of professional teams down there. And there was one night we went out on the town, whatever, and uh, stopped at this restaurant slash bar. And there was a live band playing there. And they took a break while we were eating dinner. So when we were done with dinner, the bandstand was still open. So I walked up on the stage and brought some of my teammates up. And the only song that all of us knew, at least they got, well, I'll put it like this, to be clear. The only song that everyone knew, but lyrically, all they could do was the hook and the dance, was the Humpty Dance. So we did that over and over. We just kept doing the hook. Oh, sexy baby, do the hump, the hump, do the hump, the hump. I don't know if we have to pay royalties for that now or back then, but salute once again to the late, great Shock J. Greetings and salutations also go out to my man, Dave Zirin, who sent out those books for us and the winners for the contest last week. I asked you to answer three questions based on what Dave was talking about in his basketball life. And three people won those prizes. The first person, Thomas Jefferson Davis III in New York. My man, Gerald Jackson down in Texas. And Desdemona Joyner. We had a woman win a prize. That's great. Love that you're listening to the open run. She's from South Carolina. So congratulations to all of you. You'll be receiving Things That Make White People Uncomfortable by Michael Bennett, formerly of the NFL. You remember him certainly from the Seattle Seahawks, and of course, our guy, friend of the program, Dave Zirin. Want to send rest in paradise shouts out to the young man, Terrence Clark, the 19-year-old former University of Kentucky star who died last week in a horrific car accident. Just the day before, he'd signed with Rich Paul's Clutch Sports, young man just starting off his life. So rest in power, young man, Terrence Clark. On a less somber note, congratulatory shouts out to the young Chet Holmgren, the seven foot, 195 pound, number one ranked high school player in the country, according to many services, chose to take his talents out to Spokane, Washington and play for Mark Few and the Gonzaga Bulldogs. So congratulations to young Chet, who I believe really knew that he wasn't physically ready to play even in the G League Ignite as one of the top talents, as many of the top talents do out of high school now, when you know that you can make between three hundred and six hundred thousand dollars playing basketball as opposed to going to a school and having them give you per diem and sneakers, you know, maybe you didn't need the money. Someone who did get their chips and dip to a new school, however, is Hall of Famer and three-time national champion at Baylor University, the women's head coach now at LSU, Ken Mulkey who went back to Louisiana. She played for Louisiana Tech back in the day. Good luck out there in the bayou, Ken Mulkey. I want to salute a young man. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm close to. I'm closer to his dad than I am to him, but salute to Andrew Christian Wiggins, the first ever Canadian-born player to score 10,000 points in the National Basketball Association. Now, I know what you might be thinking. What about Steve Nash? Stephen John Nash was born in South Africa. So maybe he's the greatest scorer from South Africa, but we're not talking about that today. Wiggins is also the first from the 2014 NBA draft class to amass 10,000 points, though I have a feeling that Nikola Jokic, Zach Levine, Jordan Clarkson, and Julius Randle will soon follow young Mr. Wiggins. Distant shout out to Joel Hans and Bede, who's just behind them on that list as well. Since I'm talking points and everything, just a little fun fact for you all out there listening. There have only been three people to score 1,000 points in each season since 2010. The Washington Wizards, Russell Westbrook, he who shan't be named, and DeMar Darnell DeRozan. 
consistency. He led them with 37 points and 10 assists last night in a big win over Russell Westbrook's Washington Wizards to snap the eight-game losing strike that the Wizards were on. They're playing for the play-in tournament. For those who don't understand how this works, I'm going to explain it real quick. Teams 7 through 10 will have to play in a play-in tournament, and this is how the games will go. 7 and 8 will play. Whoever wins that game goes on to be the 7th seed. The loser of the 7-8 game goes on to play the winner of the 9-10 game. So the, the loser of the 9-10 game is out of the playoffs. Season's done. Then the loser of the 7-8 game and the winner of the 9-10 game play against one another to become the 8th seed in the playoffs. Get it? Got it? Good. So if the play-in tournament to make the playoffs started today, in the East, the seedings would look like this. The Wizards versus the Indiana Pacers in the 10-9 matchup, or 9-10, however you want to do it. And then the 7-8, Miami and Charlotte. I'm excited to see that Charlotte-Miami series. LaMelo Ball comes back. I'm not going to call it an upset, but I wouldn't be mad if it happened. They're one of the most exciting teams to watch in the league, especially when LaMelo is playing. And their announced team is nuts. They are. They're crazy. Would you pay in the West to see? The 9-10 matchup between San Antonio and Golden State or the 7-8 matchup between Portland and Memphis. That's where they sit right now. Big Game Dame versus Demetrius Jamel Morant. Yeah, I want to see that. And I wouldn't be surprised, healthy or not, now I'm talking about Golden State, if they lost to a San Antonio team coached by Greg Popovich, his understudy Steve Kerr out there in Golden State. Be interesting. I mean, more people, I'm sure more people want to see the Luka and Steph matchup, but the Dallas Mavericks have moved up to six, so Luka doesn't have to worry about how dumb the play-in tournament is anymore, or at least for right now. Kudos and continued salutations to the second greatest shooter in the history of a thing, besides the police, Wardell Stephen Curry II, who smashed the record for three-point shots made in one month with 85. He still has two more games with a couple days left. Could he hit 100? Who knows? Again, shouts out to Steph Curry, the chef, still chefing up that work and trying to make a playoff push for his Golden State Warriors. Getting into a little court surfing, the Suns were prominent in my surfing this past weekend. Definitely need some surfing sun. And the Suns went on to beat the Milwaukee Bucks last week. And in that game, Chris Paul passed the great Irvin Magic Johnson on the all-time assist list. So congratulations to Chris, but the Suns were unable to defeat the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets have two uniform sets. They basically have the best uniform hookup in the entire league, to me, basically. Because it's so basic, black and white is dope. But the subway set and the basket set, wow, perfection. At any rate, the Brooklyn Nets welcome Kevin Durant back to the lineup. Came off the bench, dropped 33 on that ass. And, of course, Ramadan Kyrie, who is now observing Ramadan. I don't know if he's converting to Al-Islam or not, but he is honoring the traditions of Ramadan. Came out and dropped numbers on Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and the rest of the Suns as well. Uh, in a matchup between the top team in the East and the second best team in the West. As a matter of fact, why don't we go through our Power 10 right now? As I said before, the Nets sit atop the Eastern Conference with a 41-20 and record, one game ahead of the Philadelphia 76ers. And in the West, 
The Utah Jazz still firmly ensconced at number one with a 44 and 17 record. So the power 10 go like this. At one, the Utah Jazz. At two, the Brooklyn Nets. At three, the Phoenix Suns. At four, the LA Clippers. At five, the Philadelphia 76ers. At six, the Milwaukee Bucks. Seven, the Denver Nuggets. At eight, the Los Angeles Lakers. Welcoming back Anthony Davis into the lineup. At number nine, the Dallas Mavericks. And at 10, welcome to the party, Tom Thibodeau, Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, and the New York Knickerbockers. Before we wind it down, I want to talk about little bit of old and new news. If I'm not mistaken, last week I spoke about how the relationship between Nike and the Kobe Bryant estate, led by his wife, his widow, Vanessa Bryant, have now parted ways, exploring new opportunities for the Kobe line of gear, one of the most popular sneaker sets in the history of sneakers, really, and looking for a new home. And in the same breath, Nike and Jordan Brand celebrated the release and launch of the Zion 1, the new sneaker for Zion Williamson. And when you have a name and game that makes you a mononymous star, whether you're Kobe, he who shan't be named, you know what it is, Luca, you tend to have a following. And Zion has a following as one of the most unique players to ever grace the hard, fine wood courts of the National Basketball Association. And so maybe this is something that Nike's saying, look, business is business. No hard feelings. Tough not to have hard feelings with someone who was so revered in the association as Kobe Bryant by young players and veterans alike. We wish you well on your search for a new home for Kobe and his sneaker and apparel brand, Mrs. Bryant. Last but not least, in a recent appearance on All the Smoke, hosted by Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, Lakers owner, slash governor, how you want to say it. Jeannie Buss came on and they asked her lots of questions. She talked about the players in her time there as the owner of the team. And she spoke about LeBron James. I said his name. Yes. He who shan't be named being the closest thing to a superhero on and off the court of all the players she'd ever seen. And then she was tasked at that point by the guys to name her top five most important Lakers. Not necessarily the best, not the greatest, most important. And again, this is her list as the owner, you know, someone who might have more intimate knowledge and a better understanding of what is important to her and her team. But she runs off her list. She saw Cap, So you saw the captain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Kobe Bean Bryant, he who shan't be named, and Phil Jackson. Naturally, that energy was real high for he who shan't be named. Oh, it's recency bias. What is she on? Drugs. She must be, and then with picking Phil, we know she had a relationship with him. It must be all about the, hey, it's a family program, even though I said ass earlier. Anyway, they minimize her list to her not knowing what she's doing in the front office or understanding her own choices and being swayed by a phallus or lack thereof in their opinion and their thinking, because I guess they know what's going on in Jeannie Buss's bedroom or wherever she does it. If she does it, I don't care. At any rate, by naming Kareem, Magic, Kobe, he who shan't be named, and Phil Jackson, most people rolled their eyes at the last two. I understand he who shan't be named because she won her first title, and being the first female owner of an NBA team to win an NBA championship, I can understand why she chose him as the most important. Phil Jackson never played for the Lakers. Phil Jackson was a coach. While he coached the Lakers, he was never a Laker. So in that, if you want to roll your eyes at something, look at that. 
Let's keep it basketball. Let's keep it right. But parsing of her choices has more than a strong odor of sexism and ignorance. Elevate your thinking and continue to listen to the fine program we like to call The Open Run with Will Strickland. So until next week, do what's popular with the population and keep listening to the podcast where basketball and life are one. It's The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich Kid, my man, handle the festivities. Easy. Easy.